When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And Arizona lost at Mississippi State, Brett. And, you know, it's a weird game to talk about, I think. And, like, tell me if I'm wrong. But, like, we know what happened in the game. It's obvious why Arizona lost. But in trying to analyze and be like, okay, how should one feel after that game? On the one hand... Arizona made a lot of mistakes. Their quarterback turned the ball over, and like you expect to lose. On the other hand, all that happened, and the game went to overtime, and Arizona had a chance to win. So you could feel good about them competing against an SEC team having a chance to win despite their mistakes, or bad because they went in there and made all those mistakes. Yeah, I, I mean, I called the NAU game a little bit of a Rorschach test. This game certainly is <laughs> right? a Rorschach test because, you know, I kind of want to. If I wish I could do a Stefan from SNL voice, where it's like this game had everything. You can you know, try turnovers. Go, uh, that, I don't want to lose our listeners that early in the show. <laughs> we usually wait usually, a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually we save that kind of gold for the last couple of minutes. Um, no, it's. It, I mean, the game was weird. It, the game was that was a drunk game, right? Like yeah. the game itself was drunk. Like. JDL throws three picks on the first three possessions. Mississippi State, well, shoot, Mississippi State's first possession, they march down the field, and Arizona's defense, you know, it looks like they're a, they're a sieve, mm-hmm. but then they get hold up, and they were going to force a turnover when they went for it on fourth, but then they got fumbled, so it, or you know, it worked out even better. Um, so it was, and then the defense, the rest of the game performed relatively well. Um, and the Arizona's offense, aside from, you know, turning the ball over, uh, JDL multiple times, and also uh, Jacob Cowing, when there could be Which points I'd on the still board. might put that on Delora. The, it was weird. But turnovers. We're, we're yeah, turnovers. And, but also, like, my God, the fake the, the fake snap that JDL didn't tell anybody, you know. <laughs> and that, that's what this game was, right? Like, if you see, it, it's, it's like, if not for the times where Arizona messed up, Arizona played a really good football game. Like in between the turnovers, their offense was good, right? <laughs> and I, it, it's it's dumb. It's not analysis, but that's kind of how it was. The Jekyll and Hyde nature of this game for Arizona, because like you said, Brett, defense early on, I'm like, well, this looks like an SEC team, SEC team against Arizona. They're just having their way with that defensive front, right? Getting everything they want, and then that stopped. And Arizona, it wasn't like Delora was under pressure most of the game. Like the offensive line did a good job. They weren't running the ball well, but you find out later, Jed Fish is like, yeah, they were loading up to stop the run. Like, they were daring us to throw and trying to take away certain things. And, okay. But, like, there were parts of the game where Arizona was easily the better team. 
And you could argue maybe for two and a half quarters, three quarters, they were the better team. But when it came down to it, obviously, if you lose a turnover battle five to one, you're probably not going to win a football game, let alone on the road. And Arizona made just enough mistakes, even in overtime, a missed tackle, a missed open throw, right? One on defense, one on offense, and either one of those, if they make the play, they're probably in good shape. But that's the difference in these games where, I mean, I, I'm not down on Arizona after that game. I'm not. Like, I'm disappointed that, oh, like, you had a chance to win this game. That would have been a good win, right? You're trying to get the six wins for a bowl game. That's one you would have stolen, and it would have helped your cause. Plus, it would have been historic. I don't remember the last time they won a game at the SEC. I think it's been, like, 50 years, 60 years, or something like that, whatever the number is. Like, it would have been a great win. It's not a terrible loss. But if you would have said before the game, Arizona's going to go to Mississippi State, lose 31-24 to in overtime, You'd be like, okay, cool. They probably played pretty well. It was a close game. They lost to a better team. You can't necessarily say that, but the result is the same. Yeah. Well, first off, our independently uh, derived score call of 31-27 was pretty darn close. Um, I'm just going to give ourselves credit for that one. But we didn't expect yeah. it to go like that. I don't <laughs> if, if, No, No one, if, you, if somebody had tried to predict that, you would have said, you're you're a lunatic you uh, screaming on the street corner kind of thing yeah. right yeah um and i mean i i, I remember during the game uh Baderanka, you know friend of the pod rob bowron was saying like arizona fans are learning that mississippi state's defense is really good like as much as uh, mississippi state maybe hamstrung their own offense with their game plan you know not taking advantage of will rogers like we talked about in the preview with stefan mm-hmm. um you know they they still have what was in beta rank a top 10 defense last year. And they've, you know, haven't lost that much from it, especially up front. Yeah. And their front Arizona, seven is basically the same. Yeah. And Arizona had more passing yards than Mississippi state had total yards. Right. And 431 yards against a top, let's, you know, let's assume that they took a half step back from last year and they went from a top 10 defense to a top 15 defense. Okay. Like that's still, really impressive especially when you know you gave away a lot of these uh you know the possessions on offense and you set your defense up with short fields most of the game and that's the only way mississippi state scored and so like it's it's you know it's my mind is literally in a bottle adam it's (laughs) uh you know it's it's hard to quite you know fully analyze this thing um i think it was funny. I tweeted out. I don't know if you saw my tweet where I was like perusing the Mississippi State boards and the Arizona boards. Arizona fans were like calling for JDL's head, and Mississippi State was saying, "We wish we had a JDL on our team," which is just the nature of fandom. Yeah, well, and it's like that's the conversation. We'll obviously, get. we're going to talk to Michael Lev by the way later, and we'll get to a lot of this stuff too. But yeah, in trying to look at like I'm like I said, I'm not down on Arizona from losing this game because I expect them to lose this game. That they got it to overtime on the one hand, like, that's amazing that with all that they did wrong, like, is that a sign of their talent level that they could play a not great game? In fact, they could play arguably a bad game, especially offensively, and take Mississippi State to overtime, right? And maybe they were six inches away from, you know, possibly tying it up. And I think if they would have tied it up, I think they would go for two and try to win it, you know, yeah. in the first overtime. Like, they were so close to stealing this game, and that's what makes it disappointing is that maybe you weren't expected to win it, but you had a chance to win it. You gave yourself a chance. With all the things you did wrong, you gave yourself a chance, and you just couldn't finish it, right? You couldn't make those plays. I want to say, Haimuli misses the tackle on the screen pay. Like, first play of overtime, 
the defense forces a holding penalty. Now it's you know first and twenty, and it's like wow, you're in great shape here to at worst force a long field goal. Maybe they make it, possibly they miss it. Either if way, you make that t- if you make that tackle. Right. It's like third and 15 and maybe they get the first down. I don't know. But chances are you're holding them into a field goal attempt and their kicker had missed one earlier. Even if he makes the field goal. Okay. That changes everything for Arizona's offense when they come back out. Right. Like they were so close. And then when they come back out, Delora, everybody's going to talk about the interceptions and those were bad. But the miss to cowing on that out route in overtime, mm-hmm. that to me is the worst, maybe his worst throw of the game because it was wide open. If he puts it on him, cowing might have walked into the end zone. He certainly got the first down. And it just changes everything, right? Like the interceptions, you could argue, he's trying to make plays. Someone's like, not every ball that throws in, gets thrown into traffic gets deflected has to line, land in a linebacker's arms. Like there is right. some bad luck involved there. You could argue, don't make that throw. But the odds of that throw going like the way it happened, like bouncing into a linebacker's arms, not great. Other than the fact that they have great linebackers who are where they're supposed to be. But there was some bad luck there. But allowed, you know, Dolores throws made a lot for the bad luck to have an impact. The throw to Cowling in overtime, I think that was his worst one because it was wide open. It was a big moment and he just flat out missed it. Like, that's yeah. a problem. But that's, I wrote about for AZ Desert Storm, like, that's the difference between, like, a good team and a really good team. The really good team makes those plays. Arizona's good enough to be in that game and good enough to have a chance to win that game. I think they proved that. But they're not good enough yet to make those plays in the close game against a good team. Like, that's the difference. And when you get to this level, when you're not horrible, when you're promising, you're improved like they are, the difference between winning and losing, especially a game like that, is a player two. And they just didn't make them. Yeah, I, yeah, I think your point is spot on. Um, and then, you know, we in the in the preview last week, we talked about Mississippi State's best versus Arizona's best. Mississippi, Mississippi State should win. See, I was talking about how Mississippi it, State is hard to say. See, you know what it's all yeah. about. Yeah, oh, I know. And well, it doesn't help that in my brain I start spelling it rather than thinking <laughs> pronouncing it. <laughs> um, but like Mississippi State didn't didn't lose that game they didn't play poorly no they at you know they played average maybe on offense maybe hamstrung by their play calling and approach but part of that was arizona's defense held i think their defense played well enough to win the game right to force some of those turnovers though even one of those uh turnovers the throw to jacob cowing cowing came down with that and the defender just took it from him on the way yeah. down right what about a like, great catch but again doesn't have to yeah. be an interception that's, that was that's more like not, an arm punt anyway on that one, but it doesn't have to be yeah. an interception. Yeah, and the funny thing is we talked about, you know, if it was if Mississippi State brought their average game, a good game from Arizona would beat them. Arizona didn't even that like I don't with that many turnovers, I don't know if you could say that Arizona played a you know, a great game or even a good game, but they were still good enough to win despite yeah. their self inflicted. Like, does that make you feel good? good like do you feel better about that like i kind of do that they can play a not good game especially like, it's we say they didn't play well like the defense was fine like the defense played well for what we expect of them but can you feel good about the offense playing bad enough to have a chance to win you know like <laughs> that's what it was like they did a lot well in this game again like when they weren't turning the ball over they were pretty effective you know 431 total yards of offense in this game right they had 23 first downs like they ran for 91 yards. That includes some of Delora, obviously, but Delora threw for 340. He was 33 of 47. Like the completion percentage choice, he wasn't bad. <laughs> like just like I think you had tweeted her earlier. It was like, well, his passes are his passes are catchable at least. Like <laughs> someone was catching most of his passes, but like and that 
That's what, you can't say Delore had a good game because he threw four interceptions. But when he wasn't throwing interceptions, other than the cowing pass in overtime, he was really good throwing darts, the touchdown to T-Mac to tie it, was a throw that if you want to limit Delore, he probably doesn't make that pass to begin with. Right? He throws that ball because he's trusting his receiver to make a play. He's trying to make a play like only Delore can. So like it's, it's such an interesting game to analyze in that, again, we didn't expect them to win. So it's not like you like, wow, like if they lose to UTEP this week, that's a problem, right? If they go to Stanford and lose yeah. that game, that's a problem. Losing at Mississippi State isn't like the end. It's not the end of the world at all. It's expected. We figured they'd be 3-1 and one going into Washington. That's still on the table. But it's like, wow, they had a chance to win in spite of themselves, and they just couldn't pull it off. It would have been an ama- like if they would have won the game, say they go going overtime, right, and they win the game, they score on their drive, go for two, they get it. What a ballsy call by Jed Fish to go for two, what a, you know, whatever. Then Arizona wins a game where they didn't even play their best, and you're feeling like, wow, that's amazing. Well, they still had a chance to win a game where they didn't play their best, so does that mean so they lost? It's not amazing? Like I, I don't know. So I, I think to answer your question, this Arizona fans should on balance take this outcome in this game as very positively encouraging. You're not there yet. And to your point, the difference between like, uh, like a bad team and an average team is not that much. And an average team to a decent team is not that much. The de- Delta between like a decent team to a really good team is in all of the details. You have to, you know, you have to win nine times out of 10, the 50, 50 things, right. Yeah. You got to make your own luck. But, you know, even as, as I'm thinking through this game, uh, you know, hypo- let, me, let me just let me present you with a hypothetical here because I'm sure. trying to think of a way to frame this because, like, I think Arizona's defense played really well. And I think the offense generally played well except for. So, like, in a hypothetical world, let's just assume nothing changed in terms of outcome, drives, ending. But the two, you know, Jaden Dolores stared down his receivers and Mississippi State baited him into a couple of the picks that were bad decisions, right? Even the ones that were deflected. Like, let's take the the one that was really deflected and bounced up in the air into the waiting guy's arms and the one that the guy took from Jacob Cowing. To say those were drops and not turnovers, but the drive ended the same and JDL only had the two turnovers right. and the game went exactly the same way the rest of the way. Where would you, how would you evaluate this game? Probably the same as I am now, right? Like, I'm not as down on Delora as a lot of people are, but yeah, like it's the overall result. If the whole point of football is to win games, right? And that's what, I mean, everyone will say that and they're not wrong. That would have been the same result. So how you got there is like the des- the journey in a game. Does that impact, you know, for the destination? The destination doesn't change. So it's like, it goes back to if Arizona would have played a good game and lost 31-24, and I think it's kind of what you're getting. If they would have played a good game and lost just because they played a better team, people would have been like, okay, you know, that happens. It's an SEC team. They beat you by, you know, 20-something, whatever it was last year, 39-17, I think, or something like that. 39-20, I forget exactly what it was. But like they... They took it to you last year. You've closed the gap. You went on the road, you know, and you gave yourself a chance to win against a better team. Hey, you lost. That happens. We weren't expected to win, so whatever. But because you had a chance, because you could make the case that they should have won this game, it feels different, right? Because it wasn't, you can't just say, oh, well, Arizona lost to a better team. Like, I think they did. I think Mississippi State is better overall, like on balance. But it wasn't obvious in that game. And you could make the case that if not for Arizona and if not for the Delora interceptions or the turnover, like the cowing fumble where Arizona was in scoring territory, they do win that game. And if they do win that game, everything feels different. Everything is different, Arizona, after two weeks. They might even be ranked had they won that game. Yeah, I think I, I my my gut tells me that the, the, 
the majority of fans, their perception of this game and their feelings, what they take from it, would change dramatically if there were two fewer, two interceptions, fewer interceptions and nothing yeah. else not, and nothing else changed. Well, if he had thrown an interception against NAU going into it, if he, those were his first interceptions of the season, I think people would feel different. The NAU one didn't matter. It was a miscommunication between him and T-Mac. And that's what people, like, we're not in the film room. We don't know exactly what the plays. I know Jed Fish said, like, the first interception on T-Mac was supposed to be somewhere else on the field. Maybe a little bit more room in between him and Cowing or t- him and uh, McLaughlin, I think, on the, was the intended receiver. And all of a sudden, that ball's not intercepted, right? There's, It's not always just on the quarterback. It's You see an interception, it goes to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But sometimes a receiver wasn't where they were supposed to be. Sometimes there's a route that's run wrong. Sometimes a defender just makes a great play. Like, does that mean that the ball should have been thrown? Not necessarily. You know, it's not to give up to Laura a pass. Like, the last interception, it's like, oh, man, look, he had like eight yards in front of you to run. But at the same time, if he puts the ball on cowing, he's got the first down and maybe then some. He threw the, it was a bad pass. Like, the read was, it was a tight window that existed. And sometimes you have to throw into tight windows. That's Delora does. Arizona's excelled at that, especially last season. But if you're going to throw into a tight window, it's got to be accurate. But when it's not accurate, that ball doesn't have to get deflected and right into a linebacker's hands either. <laughs> you know, it's like the, it's kind of like the screen pass two years ago. It's like, what's the worst thing that can happen on this play? You're not <laughs> thinking it's going to be intercepted. You know, you're thinking it's going to go incomplete. The guy's going to, it's going to be caught for a yard. <laughs> like, but the absolute worst thing that could have happened did. And that's not to excuse Delora because he's responsible for the, it's his right arm. He's the one throwing it. He's the one making that decision. But it's not all interceptions are created equal. You know, some are entirely yeah. on the quarterback. Sometimes just a bad throw, which can happen. Sometimes it's a bad read. Sometimes it's staring on a receiver. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the quarterback. Like the quarterback did pretty much everything right. And just things outside of his control impacted it. But yeah, you know. the, the thing it, it makes me think of is like, I've asked people that play poker, would you like, would you rather lose knowing that you were betting and playing stupid hands and beating yourself? Or would you rather lose by like, doing everything right and you were just unlucky yeah <laughs> and like this game was kind of a combination like it's it's basically do you do you feel about the process being right and you recognize all the you know the, in the long run it's going to work out and even some of those times you make a big bet it's going to not pay off i mean jdl did like a crow's hop for some of those deep passes to t-mac and i i think everyone collectively took a big deep inhale before that got caught well right? the last one too in the fourth quarter it's like oh t-mac he stepped out of bounds and i mean he got nudged like, but you're like, oh, oh if you could have just fought through that tackle, you're racing out. It's a touchdown, you know? Oh, and it's not on T-Mac. You don't get mad at him for that. Oh, but T-Mac like, had a oh. couple of chances to just, like, Arizona would have had the lead or, like, what? Yeah, at that point, yeah. they would have had right. the lead with, like, two minutes left. Like, um, it's So it's, you know, there's I think there's some solace in knowing that, you know, some of these things are just correctable, but, like, the things that's the, the, the fundamentals of, like, Arizona's ability to get yards win on the lines like that you know that first drive if you take out the first drive for mississippi state arizona's defense dominated them and some of yeah. that was mississippi state's you know maybe just not playing to their talents the best but you know arizona still has to stop an sec talent talented offense you know and talented o-line and running attack you know they, they have to make the tackles and they didn't make it on all of them but they did it way more times than not and if you keep doing that it's gonna it augurs well for repeatability and you know raising this team's floor and ceiling even with a apparently better pack 12 than we generally thought yeah i think you're right there because like certain things like if they're just not good enough you feel worried especially going to this gauntlet that is the pack 12 what their loss of, unless you think that mental errors and mistakes cannot be corrected and like 
People forget Delora was good last season. Outside of a couple of games, he was really good last season. You know, I guess not like this guy's not proven as an elite quarterback or a higher end quarterback in college football. Like, there's every reason to think that just coming off facing one of the better defenses he's going to see, some bounces didn't go his way, he'll be fine, right? But if it was a matter of like the year before Delora showed up, like if it was like 2021 or 2020, it's like, well, they're just not good enough. They don't have the talent on the lines. They don't have linebackers. They're slow. They don't have any depth. It's like, oh, well, that's not going to get better. Mistakes can be improved upon or just not happen again. And there is always that natural overreaction because like Delora is a polarizing quarterback for not just his play on the field, but obviously everything that's happened off of it. But yeah, I, I'm pretty optimistic after this game. Again, like I'm disappointed because I, I had a chance to win. And it's always better to win. You know, you don't have to lose a game to learn from it. Like you can learn a lot from a victory. And it would have been nice for them to steal that one for sure. Yep. But on the whole, from what they did, what they showed us in that game, their size on the line could compete with an SEC team. Their speed in the front seven, like especially when Justin Flo had a great game, like they can compete with an SEC team. And maybe, to your point, maybe Mississippi State was not playing an offense that was conducive to their talent. It's still SEC talent. Like the size, the strength, the speed is still there. And then defensively, yeah, I mean, the turnovers, but if they weren't turning the ball over, Arizona was moving the ball. Like they figured out something that worked and they did it. So it's, it's not a situation where they weren't talented enough to win the game. And that's awesome. Like that's, that's what we were hoping to see this season. Like they didn't lose because they just had no chance to compete. They lost because they didn't play well enough. That's better. Yeah. Well, and I'll even, you know, to maybe put an even more forward looking thought beyond this season that I see things that are positive in this Arizona was missing, you know, a starting true freshman guard that, you know, is part of that size and Joe Bourgeon you know, I don't know. I don't. Has he had an actual start yet? Or I think this was his first start. Yeah, and he's starting at tackle against that defense on the road at an SEC stadium with that much noise. You know, with all the cowbells going on, and like, was he? You know, a superstar? No. But was there that much of a drop off? And people are shuffling around. Uh, you know, Traden Stukes missed the game. Wyatt missed the game. Malden played Irby the second didn't... half. I mean, he he was there. We're talking about things and... that hurt them, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Remember, remember preseason when I said that a good team will expose a safety and find a way he to He comes it? in in like the first place. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. but, you know, look look up the road um, and see what happens when you don't have depth and talent along the lines. And if, you know, ASU's already had is, you know, everybody can, even a bad team can put five guys out there that can compete. Yeah. But the problem is what happens when somebody's out and Arizona's dealing with that and dealing with it on the road in the SEC matchup with young, you know, linemen in there and people shuffling around, and they acquitted themselves quite well, uh, you know. And a, you know, ASU up the road is is losing guys and they're you know they're paper thin there, and it and it shows up. And if you have a disaster at any one spot in college football, it's going to get exposed by good teams or even by bad teams, and it it really augurs well for the future of the program, knowing that you know even when you know. Jordan Morgan is graduating. Oh, maybe Borjan can stand to a starting tackle spot and be capable. Or if there's any injuries this year, it's 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 if there's a lot of positivity to glean, just you know, let's cut down on the turnovers, fellas. Well, and granted, ASU is not the bar here, right? <laughs> That's ASU is at the bar right now. Probably. But like Arizona should be further along than them, but I think Arizona in this game, like it's one game and again, they could have won the game. 
but they could have won the game right? <laughs> and maybe even should have. And yes, they have things to clean up. Like Delora cannot throw four interceptions. Bad luck, you know, even included. Like he cannot put the ball in danger. I think I saw this, like his in danger throws at pro football focus charts. He's like leading the country and like throws that were in danger and whatever. You can tell like some of like, yeah, that could have been picked. It's like some of them like, okay, of course it was picked. I'm like, okay, really? Like that one got picked, you know, like you said, like the one that was taken from cowing, like, you know, sometimes you're, you're trusting your, he trusts his receivers to make plays. And I, I get the arguments go back. It's like, well, you have all this skill talent. Just get them the ball. You don't put in a danger. Well, sometimes trusting your guys is like getting the ball. You know what? That is a small window. I'm going to throw it up to you. Like he does it for T-Mac and T-Mac makes plays on it. Like maybe don't do that for cowing so much, but just that's, that's Delora. And I do think it's yep. going to benefit them more often than not. Like even in this specific game, it benefited them too. Like, it was give with and taketh, right? Like, for every bad play he had, think of the good plays. Even the last run where he was scrambling, and he, I mean, it was Kulo Tate against Hawaii all over again. But, like, I don't know if it was open if anyone was open on the field, but does anyone else make that play? Because the rush came in really fast. He makes a spin, and he just takes off, and, like, he was, he didn't get there, and I think the call was right after review. I think they got it right. But it's like, if you want to play, I, I, I like Noah Fafita, but I don't think Fafita makes some of those plays. Now, maybe he doesn't throw it in four interceptions, but does he make the throw the touchdown pass to T-Mac? Does he throw that bomb to T-Mac at the end of the first half? Does he do the, like, on the fake spike, watching it live, I'm thinking, they should fake the spike. But I wish it was a play call. I wish the offensive, because the offensive line knew that was the case. They would have blown up the defensive line oh, and he would have walked been, in. Like, yeah, there, so that, there, needs to be, there needs to be a call for that, I don't that, right? think anyone asked Jed Fish about that in the post game or in his Monday presser. I think he mentioned, you know, the play at the end of the first half, but I don't think anyone asked him, like, so is that, like, a thing that Delora has that, like, if he has that permission? Because, like, or why don't you just have that in your playbook? Be like, hey, like, some signal, it's like it's the f- a fake spike where if the offensive line just, if this if this right guard knew it was going to be that, the right guard in the center knew it was he was going to run, that hole opens up wide for him. Like, I don't know if he yeah. got in. Fortunately, they called it a touchdown on the field because I don't think there was any evidence to go one way or the other. But, like, things like that Delora does, he can do that. Not every quarterback can. So it's like there is the give and the take, but I do think when the season's over, he's going to be a lot more good than bad. Yeah, I, I do think that on uh... – the, the the state media broadcast i mean the sec or the sec network they said asked if that was a planned call and he was like what do you think it's absolutely not jed fish um okay so they asked him yeah but like you know it's a far there's one thing you know in football you can't play scared you know at any position and jane laura Ain't scared, you know. Gunner <laughs> Cruz. If you think back a couple of years ago, he was holding on to the ball because unless someone was five yards open, yeah, yeah, he's never going to throw it. And if you got a T Mac or a Jacob Cowing or even a MLC, you, who I you, like you, actually, yeah, you need to you need to trust those guys to some extent. And like that's you know if if he wants a snip at the NFL, he's got to be not afraid to make those plays. Um, you know, I'm not sure he's going to an NFL quarterback, but if he's getting, probably he's not, gonna, you, you know him him being passive ain't going to do it, right? No, like the, the catch that Lamonius Craig made that was called back, but it was pass interference anyway. Like, one-on-one coverage, not wide open. He throws it up for him, gives his guy a chance to make a play. He draws a flag and almost caught it. Like, the best quarterbacks can do that. Like, and that's where, you know, Jed Fish, there's a lot of people who maybe should have benched Delora as we can wrap up the game here. Jed Fish knows what the play call is. He knows where guys are supposed to be. Not every play that a quarterback looks bad on TV is due to the quarterback. So if Jed Fish doesn't want to make a change, I can understand not making a change. 
And of course, it appears there is no change by Jed Fish at the quarterback position. So we'll talk about Delora, how he's played. We'll talk about Arizona, how they've played through two games with Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star after this break. Welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. We are joined by Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. Michael Love, thanks for coming back and talking with us. Hey, guys. It's been a while. Glad to be here. How are you doing? We're good. Obviously, we just had a good conversation about Arizona's loss to Mississippi State in that we don't really know how to feel or how other people should feel because on the one hand, Arizona went to an SEC school, like went to an SEC game, had a chance to win, arguably should have won. On the other hand, they made a lot of mistakes that cost them a chance to win that game. So do you feel good about the Wildcats through two games? Feel less good? Like, does that game even change how you feel? Like, we're not sure. I think we both still feel pretty good about them because of that game. But where do you stand? I think that people should feel good about the team right now. Um, I would say most of us expected them to lose that game when we, we kind of went through the whole schedule, right? Like, this game's a win, this game's a loss, etc. I don't think we expected them to outplay Mississippi State for most of the game. And that was definitively the case. I mean, it's right there in all the most basic numbers. More yards, more yards per play. This is after, you know, Mississippi State kind of marched the ball on them to start the game. Um, So I think the team is better than it was last year. Um, the quarterback situation, which I'm sure we'll talk about a plenty here, is it's worrisome. It's it's um, complicated. I don't know what the best and right answer is about that, but that's the part where I would come out of that game going, hmm, like I feel good about the way this team is headed, the direction the program is going, but you know, what is the quarterback situation? Yeah, you know, we, we talked a lot last year of, you know, there was alternating games of, like, good JDL and bad JDL, and you got all of that, I feel like, in this game. And it's, you know, I, I've used the, the, the term Rorschach test with this team, and maybe even for, you know, JDL in this game, like, you see what you want to see, either the positives or the negatives. But in your perspective, it, are we seeing an improved JDL overall from where he was at the end of last season, you know, same different like better or worse or better or worse in your perspective or is it yeah that's such a good question (laughs) that is in fact what the the topic of my cat stats this week is going to be i'm going to examine jdl with arizona versus with washington state he has just about the same number of pass attempts it's close uh, between the two at this point and i haven't dived into those numbers quite yet something to look forward to for everybody um, for later in the week. But I I don't know. I mean, I feel like in some ways, yes. Like, you know, he's checking the ball down more than he did before, which is a very mature thing that NFL quarterbacks do. Like Michael Wiley, I think, leads the team in receptions. Okay. And they're getting good yardage on those plays. Um, He's using his legs more other than the one dumb play against um, NAU where he tried to barrel that guy over with his head. I mean, he's made good decisions running with the ball. He looks fast. Um, He's elusive. It's effective, right? Um, And then you have the interceptions, you know, which, I mean, they kind of come in bunches. 
Um, he throws more than most quarterbacks these days. He's a very aggressive player. He um, is a risk taker. And a lot of times that results in, you know, good plays for the offense. He, he can make something out of nothing. But there are times when, you know, discretion is the better part of valor, right? Um, where you don't need hero ball. Um, and I don't, I don't think he's going to change the way that he is or the way that he plays. The question is, can you minimize that? You know, can you, instead of four interceptions in a game, can you have one? And the other times he throws the ball away, throws it in the ground, uh, runs for a couple yards instead of trying to force it downfield. But I, I don't know. I don't know um, if, if they can coach that out of him because I think they would have done it already if they could. I, to that to that point, you know what is what is this Arizona Wildcats roster this season's best chance for a successful season? Is it you know a, a scared quarterback is probably you know it's going to minim- minimize the downside but not have as much of the upside? Uh, you know, Jaden, you're gonna you're gonna have the high risk high reward with Jaden Delora and you know. Is, is that something that shifts as the rest of the talent around him gets better, where you need him to be more of a game manager to be the higher likelihood of winning in the individual game? Or do you want to have that puncher's chance against, a, you know, ostensibly improved Pac-12 that maybe looks a little more frightening and daunting than we thought preseason? Well, I think it is true that the talent around him is better. Okay. No question. Offensive line is better. Skill position weapons are as good as they've been. Um, And the defense is better, I think. But when it comes to playing point guard, right, and I've used this analogy many times uh, on on, um, our own in-house podcast and elsewhere, but, I mean, he's, he's a Russell Westbrook kind of player, you know, not super athletic, Make a lot of can make spectacular plays. He's never been a guy who just you know his sole mission is to set up his teammates like a Chris Paul, right? Chris Paul, I think, probably the epitome of the the modern point guard, right? Like what you think of when you think of point guard, you think of Chris Paul. And Russell Westbrook's always kind of a wild card, right? And I think JDL is more of a Westbrook type. Um, all that being said. When they get into that gauntlet of seven games between Stanford and ASU, and all ten of all seven of those teams are ranked, and they all have explosive offenses, like who gives you the best chance to compete in those games? It's still Jaden Delora, right? So that's that's the conundrum. Well, like, I'm not he's to... the guy who who might give the ball away more than you like, but he's also the guy who can give you a, a chance uh, to win these shootout type games against really good teams in the Pac-12. I was going to say, not to make this a Delora podcast or anything, but he's completing 71.4% of his passes, right? So the, through two games, it's the highest mark of his career. His quarterback rating is actually the highest of his career too because his completion percentage is so good. It's like most of the passes he's throwing are getting caught by somebody. But just in terms of like the type of player he is, like he can win you a game. He can do. He, we saw it last season when he's at his best. We saw against UCLA, 
right? Like how good he can be and how good Arizona can be when he's playing that way. To take that away from Arizona, to take away the player who can put you on your back, the throw to T-Mac to tie the game against Mississippi State, does a caretaker quarterback make that throw? You know, some of the passes he did. So to the extent that they're better off with Delora, he's thrown five interceptions. Okay. He's just a game or two away with no interceptions or clean games where he throws three touchdowns, four touchdowns. And people are like, oh, look at what Delora's doing. Like, he's not, we were, we were joking, it's like, other than the interceptions, he was great. But really, other than the interceptions this season, he's been pretty great. Yeah, and you just keep, the problem is you can't say other, you can right. say other than the interceptions, but they have this huge impact on the game, right? I mean, one of them set up a Mississippi State at the six-yard line, you know? Um, they had three touchdown drives in that game. The six yard from the six, the 30 and the 50, the one from the 30 was after that punt. That wasn't that great. And they kind of left the one side of the field open. Um, so the defense did not allow, you know, a full field touchdown drive the entire game. Obviously the other touchdown was in overtime. So that's from the 25. Um, so coaches talk all the time about complimentary football and, they're not, that's not complimentary football, right? Like when you're, when your offense is putting your defense in a bind, you're, you are putting them in a, in a difficult and precarious situation. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that you just live, you have to live with it. I mean, maybe there's a breaking point, you know, or maybe there's a time when Jed is like, you know, Jaden needs to watch for a quarter from the sideline and just listen to the play calls and see how things are developing. Um, but I also believe very strongly that Jed does not want to get into a situation like he had in 2021, where he's constantly juggling the quarterbacks and in and out and doesn't know who the guy is, so on and so forth. I'm sure they're coaching him up hard behind the scenes. And I think he's building him up in public Um because he wants to instill confidence in him. He wants him to be the guy the rest of the way this season. And conversely, maybe the other angle that we're not thinking about is how Jedfish likes that Dolores putting the defense in a bind because when the defense steps up, plays well, and improves their confidence, right? Like, for all that the offense did poorly, the defense came out and played a strong game, their second straight strong game. And it's like, maybe that group is better than anticipated. And if they are, that gives a little bit more of a, a wiggle room, a buffer for what the offense has to do. We thought the offense had to score 40 points a game to win. If that's not the case, that changes the dynamic too. They might still have to score 40 points to beat <laughs> Colorado, USC, Washington. So most of the rest of the Washington way. State. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it'll be necessary against UTEP or Stanford, um, but I mean, they might score 40 points in those games anyway. Um, I think the defense is improved. It was my biggest takeaway from that game on Saturday. And they played really well despite not having one of their starting cornerbacks, um, Dylan Wyatt. They didn't have Martel Irby, their starting nickel. I'm sorry, uh, Traden Stukes, their starting nickel. Um, and Dalton Johnson got banged up during the game. Gunnar Maldonado was out for half the game. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on there in the secondary. Um, I thought that Mississippi State's game plan was puzzling, to say the least. Um, they kind of somehow morphed into North Dakota State. And we're just like, I don't know, 39 rushing attempts and 17 passing attempts against a team with a banged-up secondary. Kind of weird. Um, but, hey, it looked like at the start of the game, like I said, that they were going to run it right down 
Arizona's throats. They had 88 rushing yards in the first quarter. And then from that point forward, I think they had 57 the rest of the game. So they tightened it up in a major way. I think that the the newcomers in the front six are really having a significant impact. You know, Bill Norton, Tyler Manoa, Justin Flo showed up in a big way this last game. And that was, hey, that's a beautiful thing. If you can, like, sort of set this goal for the offseason, we want to improve this one area of the team, go shopping in the in the transfer portal and come up with guys who are, like, legitimately decent or maybe even good, that's a job well done. You know, you hit on something that Adam and I were kind of talking about where, you know, Mississippi State's game plan was a little puzzling and maybe they saw something that they thought they could exploit that we don't see as a coaching staff. But, you know, from where you're sitting, is the defensive success in that game more about Arizona's defense or more about Mississippi State's game plan hamstringing them? I think both to a degree. Um, Look, they probably thought, hey, we're an SEC team. We got a huge offensive line. We just rushed for 298 yards in our first game. We can just hammer these guys on the ground. And wear them down, and, right? Yeah, and wear them down. And it didn't happen. They scored two touchdowns on passes to you know running backs. There's a lot of yards after catch. A couple missed tackles in there. Um, but this did, this was not a game... I thought it might be a game like that after watching the first series, but this was not a game where Arizona was just getting run over, you know, and you guys have been, how long have you been fans of U of A or followers of U of A? What, 10, 15 years, maybe more Mm -hmm. seen that more times than you'd like to like to remember, right? Where Arizona is just physically overpowered and can't stop the run. And this was not that. It really wasn't. And I'm sure that there will be games where they're tested more um, by you know, these multidimensional offenses in, in the pack. But I was impressed with what I saw. I really was. And I think um, it was a good showing for Johnny Nansen, who I think has taken a decent amount of flack, right, since he since he got the job here, I mean, not a lot of experience as a defensive coordinator. Um, last year was mm, just okay. I mean, not nothing great. Um, there's a reason they went out and got all the guys that they got because they needed them. Um, so you know, off to a good start. Long way to go. The stats are gonna the stats are gonna get worse because the opponents are gonna get better. Um, but I like like the foundation that's being set right now, and I also like the fact that they have this mix of veterans that they brought in from the portal and these young guys that they are developing in the program, you know, like Isaiah Ward and Ty Ty Youngle as two examples. Those, those guys, they keep showing up. Like I think their, their upside is considerable and that's, that's a really encouraging sign. So we're talking to Michael Lev, senior writer, columnist for Arizona Daily Star. And that's another angle for this is that, the fact that people are disappointed that Arizona lost in overtime to an SEC team in year three of the Jed Fish era, right? The second game of year three, that's progress. 
right? Like a year ago, teams would be like, oh, yeah, they're going to lose by 40. And so you're going to be close. They were competitive. They maybe should have won the game to me and I think to Brett as well as a sign of just how much more talented this team is. Like they didn't lose because they weren't good enough to win. They lost because they made mistakes. Now, the best teams don't make those mistakes, sure. But talent isn't the issue. From your perspective, from your seat, just how much has this talent level improved for Arizona? Because it seems like size-wise, skill-wise, strength-wise, speed-wise, depth-wise, they are better pretty much across the board. And it happened relatively quickly since Fish took over. I would say dramatically. That's that's how much they've improved the talent level. I think the stat was that there were nine players who played against NAU in 2021 who are still with the team. And I, I think that includes, you know, the punter. And the long snapper, I could be wrong. That it might, it might like go up to eleven. And they weren't guys, the issue in twenty twenty one against right. NIU. But I'm right. saying it's yeah. somewhere around there. It shows you though, in two years' time, they have transformed the roster in a significant way. Not in a Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, Colorado Buffaloes kind of way, but they couldn't because there was still a cap when Jed took over on how many players you could bring in in one year. Um, that cap was lifted. Um, and that enabled schools like Colorado and ASU to, you know, really go even even deeper into the portal, bring in 30 to 50 players. I'm not sure Jed would have done that anyway. He might have made a few more moves um, on the front end. But, yeah, I mean, they've got here, – here's here's the best, like, way to, to look at it. Um, they have draft picks on this team. You guys know, we've talked about this many times. I mean, they've just not been producing NFL players. And there's three current Wildcats, three Wildcats who are currently in the, in the NFL, on NFL rosters. Um, they have two wide receivers who I think are NFL players, Jacob Cowling and Tetro McMillan. Um, I think Cowling's actually going to go lower in the draft than a lot of people think because he's, he's not big. Yeah. And there are, you know, slot receivers are not that uncommon. I think T-Mac is a potential first-rounder. I think uh, Jordan Morgan is a potential first-rounder. I watched a lot of NFL on Sunday. There is a big need for offensive linemen who can play. And Jordan, I thought, looked really good in the second game after looking kind of rusty in the first game. Um, I think Jonas Sabanaya is an NFL player. Um, I think we haven't seen Raven Polito play yet, but I think potentially on paper he's an NFL player. Michael Wiley might be an NFL player. Tanner McLaughlin might be an NFL player. Bill Norton might be an NFL player. Uh, Fezian's Prysock is another one who looks like he might be an NFL player. So that, that to me, says it all. Like, they have maybe 8 to 10 potential draft picks on this team, uh, a program that has gone several years in the last, you know, decade or so with literally no one being picked or you know, certainly not being picked on, on day one or even day two um, of the draft. So that, that to me shows uh, how much they've improved the talent level. And to kind of follow up on that, it's not even just so much improved, but with a plan, right? Like last offseason, it was like, okay, they're going to fix the offense. They went from miserable offense to one of the best offenses, at least between the twenties in college football. Then this last offseason, okay, let's fix the defense. It seems like Arizona has done a pretty good job of identifying what they needed to do and where they needed to improve and going out and doing it. Because you could get all the players you want, but they've got good players, you know, through the portal, through just traditional high school recruiting. It seems like they've done this with a plan in place to build the roster the way they have. 
Yeah, I would say that they have done what they've done with a lot of intent, right? Um, you know, Jed has stated what you what you just did, Adam. That you know they wanted to build the offense first because he kind of figured, hey, if we're an exciting team that scores a lot of points, players on both sides of the ball will want to play for us, and I think that's proved to be true. They succeeded in doing that in the first offseason, and then this last offseason they attacked the other side of the ball and very specifically went after big guys, you know, defensive tackles. Um, CO, Tyler Manoa, Bill Norton, um, Taylor Upshaw, like legit veteran 300-pound type guys. And they also got Justin Flo, you know, a former five-star prospect out of Oregon tons of talent also a lot of injuries while he was up in Eugene they got Daniel Hemuli coming from another like you know big time program at Washington so um yeah there was a lot of logic to it and as I said before I love the structure of kind of having the veterans and the young players mixing in together it's like they they you can play them um, you can develop them and they don't have to do too much. You know, I mean, Isaiah Ward, I think he's got tons of upside. Like he's legit 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, quick twitch, nonstop motor. He's also still about you know, 225 pounds. You don't want to play him 50 to 60 snaps a game. But if you can play him 20 to 25 snaps, maybe 40 at the most, you've got a really effective player. And he can learn on the job. Well, and, you know, you're talking about that and talking about what ASU and, you know, Coach Prime has done in Colorado and what Jed Fish has done with overhauling the roster. It seems to me, and maybe I'm just old school in the sense, and it sounds like you maybe are along this path, but tell me where my cap is here in the age of NIL and the transfer portal. It feels like, you know, replacing 50 guys with transfers, they all expect to start and it's going to be a quick way to fill a roster, but it's no way to build a roster. Uh, with sustainable success, um, you know, especially along the lines like you're you're if you're a mid-tier program, you're probably not getting NFL O-line talent, uh, you know, in the transfer portal. This is the way that Arizona is constructing their roster with those transfers, but they're complementary complementary to the, the overall position groups with the young talent that they're developing. Is that going to set Arizona up for better long-term success? You know not just in future seasons, but even in, in within this season when depth matters so much in college football. Yeah, I don't see Jed changing the way that he builds the team. I think they already have over 20 commits for the 24 cycle, right? Um, I think that it's going to continue to be the bulk of the roster is high school recruits, and you're supplementing that with the portal. Um, the analogy that I would make is recruiting is the draft. The portal is free agency, right? In the NFL, you need to build through the draft and then supplement your roster with free agents. You can't win with a bunch of 30 plus year old players on huge contracts. You need young players who um, are on, you know, their rookie deals to, to, to make it all work. Um, the hard part with um, high school recruiting nowadays is you have to be patient and they have to be patient. Like 
you, you know, they're not all going to be great right away. So you have to commit to developing them. But guys now have a, an escape hatch, right? So if they're not playing, they can they can go somewhere else. I can tell you guys right now, there are like good and talented players on this roster who are going to transfer. Guys who haven't gotten to play much over the last two years when this year's done, they're going to leave. And you just kind of have to accept that, you know? And I think Jed's whole thing is, hey, we have we are going to put a, such a great culture in place that even the guys who aren't playing right away are going to want to stick around because they know if they do, they will get their chance and we will develop them into good players. And I think, you know, going back to what you said, I think Jed Fish and staff have been really good at putting guys like Isaiah Ward even into positions to be successful overall, even if in limited roles. Uh, but I'd love to get your perspective on, uh, you know, a, 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 a time where I feel like Jed Fish and staff are maybe being more questionable in putting somebody in for success. And I'm not talking about Gunnar Maldonado. Uh, I've, I want to understand why Michael, I get why Jacob Cowing is returning punts. I don't understand why Michael Wiley is returning kicks and call me crazy. I feel like he's not running as fast as he is in the offense on those kicks. And it's, it, it doesn't make sense to me when you have, you know, a speedy Luke there that get the ball and just run as fast as you can. Did I tweet this or did you read my mind? (laughs) Have you been eavesdropping on my conversations in the last few days? I, I, uh, I don't. Up... I don't. I don't think so. But your furniture <laughs> rearrangement looks really great from the front yard. <laughs> I have. I have brought this up with colleagues. I. I completely agree with you. I don't see, and I understand why they do it. The reason they do have Michael Wiley on kickoffs is he's sure-handed. They trust him. They don't want somebody who's going to fumble or make a bad decision. Okay. But. Number one, he's already leads the team in touches. Does he need more touches? Does he need to take more hits? Number two, you have other guys who can do this in theory. If you use someone like a Rayshon Luke back there, it gives him a role beyond what he currently has, which is very minimal. Two, three, two or three snaps a game, right? Number three, Michael Wiley's style of running, in my opinion, is not conducive to kickoff returns. He is a patient runner. He does not run full steam until he sees the hole. He, you know, patient to the hole, accelerate through the hole, right? We've heard this when you're a running back. When you're a kickoff returner, you got to get that ball and go. And to, to me, Rayshon Luke is the perfect guy for this. If you think he's not sure-handed enough or he's too small, then why did you recruit him in the first place? You know? Why, why is – or I, you know – I haven't seen these these fumbling problems that um, Jed has talked about. I, I mean, I think you know Wiley's maybe the you know one of the most sure-handed guys in the team, so I get it from that perspective. But I don't know. How about have Jonah Coleman do it or or G seven? Can I offer another yeah, another thought sure. though? And maybe I'm yeah. wrong here. Is someone like a Michael Wiley or like a Jacob Cowing in punt returns? Maybe Jed's saying. 
for their chances of getting to the NFL, if they can show they can do this skill too at this level, maybe it increases their chance there. Like all things being equal, maybe you don't expect Rayshon Luke to do much out of the kick return either. But you say, okay, Michael, here, go show that you can return kicks if you're sure-handed, you make good decisions. You know, Jacob Cowling, that you're sure-handed punt returner, because that'll increase their chances for the NFL. Is that even something that Jed Fish would be thinking about right now or considering? Like, is that, or am I just making up a reason, an excuse for them just having guys in the places they shouldn't be? I think that it's more applicable to Jacob Cowling, frankly, um, to show that he's got the punt return skill set or they can cover punts. That's helped you know, similar player, Stanley Berryhill, make it to the NFL before he got you know suspended because um, of the, the gambling thing. Um, I, I get your argument. It, it does enhance Wiley's resume that much more. I still don't necessarily think that it's the right thing for the team. Um, and I also view punt returning and kickoff returning differently. Punt returning, you are liable to have guys around you right away when you catch the ball. Like you really need someone back there who is sure handed, makes good decisions, smart, elusive, all of that. Like with kickoff returns, there there aren't guys on top of you right away who are going to like knock the ball loose as soon as you catch it. Like, I don't know. It's just like, do you trust your, your players or not? And to me, by not letting someone like Speedy Luke have that role, it shows that they don't trust him. And maybe he hasn't earned that trust yet. You know, maybe he doesn't deserve it. I don't know. We don't see them in, in practice um, every single day. Um, but it just makes a lot of sense to me to get him involved in that manner because it is a it is a way to get him the ball in space. Right? Isn't that what they talk about all the time with players like him? Get him the ball in space. A lot of space um, when you catch the ball in the kickoff return. I wonder if this is a situation now they think they're good enough to where they can't experiment. You know, it's like that Jed Fish is afraid to put someone who he maybe doesn't fully trust in the world because if Speedy goes out there and does fumble or return, so he's like, you know what, the difference between winning and losing that game could be that single play. At the same time, if Speedy was to break a kick return for a touchdown, it goes the other way too. So, I mean, it's like I'm definitely one of those people like, well, the coaches probably know more than we do, but at the same time, coaches make mistakes too. So, you know, I'm, I'm well, curious. Well, they, they trust the quarterback enough. Mm-hmm. to let him go out and throw the yeah. ball around all over the place. So, I don't know. It's kind of odd. Um, I'm I'm with Brett on this one. My, Michael Wiley, I, I think he's a great player. I wrote a column before the season saying he's, like, the most underrated player uh, in the Pac-12. But I doesn't mean he should be returning kickoffs. I just don't, I just don't think it's necessary or the, the right use of personnel. It's, makes sense. I'm not going to argue with you guys because I could get on board, like, a speedy loop back there, too. Before we let you go, Michael, just real quick, though, just yeah. okay. two games into the season, Arizona, obviously the goal is to get to six. Sure, that's like the minimum. That's the low bar to get to a bowl game. But what is your impression of their chances to get there? Because the Pac-12 looks a little bit tougher than we thought it was. But at the same time, I think Arizona might look a little bit better than we thought they were, too. So where do you think they line up? Where do you think two games in this team can go? I think you had the first seven wins before the season started, right? Yeah, uh, and I think that's still possible. Um, I think six might be more realistic. They're going to be two and one going into conference play. They're going to be UTEP. I'm pretty confident in saying that. So, so then can they win two of those middle seven games? That's what it would take. We're assuming they're going to beat Stanford. We're assuming they're going to beat ASU. Seven teams that are currently ranked. 
um, in the middle of your Pac-12 slate. You'd have to win two of those to get to that six-win total. Two out of seven. The two and five. That seems that seems doable to me. I mean, I think Oregon State's really good. Are they unbeatable? No. That game's here. Same with UCLA. Good. Unbeatable? No. Even Colorado, who knows what they'll be like by that point in the season. You know, they might be better than they are now. They might have injuries and not be as good. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot of games that are those coin flip type games, and they're going to have to win those games on the margins. And one of the ways I think they could improve their chances would be to turn the ball over less. So maybe let's let's start there. Let's work on that against Utah. Get that straightened out and, and then head into Pac-12 play feeling good about yourself. That sounds right. I can get on board with that. Brett, what about you? Yeah, I was going to say hot take, reduce the turnovers. Uh, we'll we'll have more success. But <laughs> and I mean, even like even like Washington State, we don't know really how good they are. But of course, going to Pullman in the fall has always been a challenge for Arizona, as I've been there for a few of those. But it's gonna be it's gonna be an entertaining swan song for the Pac-12. I think very much so. It is the great irony of all time that <laughs> that might be the best league in the entire country, and they couldn't. They somehow couldn't get a media deal done. They just if, if this had happened two years ago, we, I think the pack would have been completely fine. Timing but is everything. They didn't. Timing is everything. Indeed. That's Michael Love. You can find him on the Twitter machine at Michael J Lev. Before we let you go, for real, is there anything you want to plug? You said you have some of the cat stats coming, right? Like what? If, what should be people reading for you on the Arizona Daily Star? Yeah, I've got cat stats coming up. I'm doing five takeaways off of each game. I'm still doing the report card um, after each game. I'm also doing um, I'm I'm dabbling uh, in high schools, high school football. So I have uh, high, I'm working on a big high school football feature, and there'll be more of that sort of thing, including um, very likely to do some stuff on some of uh, Arizona's recruits here from in the state. So that's something to look forward to down the road here in the fall. Looking forward to reading it. Michael Lev, thank you for your time, and we will catch up with you again down the road. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Michael Lev, and we come back. Our final thoughts before Arizona takes on UTEP. All right, it's Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks again to Michael Lev for that great insight because I think, Brett, every one of us has watched Arizona go one and one this season, and we every one of us could feel all different about them. You know, how they got there, what it means, where they're at, what's coming up. So it's really good to get Lev's perspective on that because obviously he's around a lot and is just a good football guy. So, again, I'm not down on this team, but there are things I have to get better at. Yeah, I mean, very much so. But, you know, like we talked about, I think on balance you feel better. This is going to be, you know, the UTEP game coming up might be the, you know, the proverbial get right game where you should be able to take care it of them. better be. Handily. Yeah, but we're you know we're still Arizona football where we need to you know earn the benefit of the doubt before we can have the benefit of the doubt. Well, and that's where like the good team like if Arizona is as good as we think they are, and I think they're a good football team, I do. Then they get the benefit of the doubt against a UTEP. They just do at home against a UTEP. They get that benefit of the doubt. I mean, they're right now we're recording on Tuesday. They're a seventeen and a half point favorite in this game. When was the last time Arizona was that much of a favorite over anyone? Do you want to know the answer to that? Was it Colorado <laughs> last season? <laughs> which which game was it that they blew and lost to a terrible team in the last couple of years? <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. So, I mean, that, that team didn't deserve the benefit of the doubt, right? Because they are coming off a winless season. 
But I guess the line actually against Colorado was 18 last year. So, haha, it was Colorado, not NAU in 2021. <laughs> but again, like that's the type of score, that's the type of line you get when you do have some respect. Even against UTEP, that's, a, that's the line saying, you know what, you're a pretty good football team and you're going to beat a less than pretty good football team comfortably. That's what that says. So I think there is confidence in Arizona. I, you know, Wildcats fans may be kind of bummed about losing to Mississippi State, but most people are going to say, hey, Arizona's 1-1. One one. They lost a close game at Mississippi State. They could do better, but they can do better. Yeah, and, you know, if I think a, a good, you know, for once, I think it's a good thing to go look at what other fans and media's perspective is because I think Mississippi State media and fans and coaching staff would say, you know, that Arizona earned their respect. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting that from a road game in, in the SEC, that means something, right? Um, especially for a team like Arizona that's trying to establish themselves and become a team that is is competitive and has the chance to win those games regularly, right? If you'd like to get the win, that's even better. Sure. But like, it's not a moral victory, but you can look at what happened and look at where they're and say, yeah, they're much improved and a pretty good football team, which... That's the progress we wanted to see this year. Now, granted, we thought the Pac-12 might be a little bit easier and pretty good would get you to six wins, seven wins, maybe eight if things bounced your way. And now it's looking more like, okay, seven if things bounce your way, but please get to six. But, yeah, I just, I'd feel a lot worse. Well, maybe, I don't even know if I'd feel worse if they just got their asses kicked by Mississippi State. Because, like, okay, well, they're not SEC good, you know. But they, they hung in there. And if they play, they can't play like that and expect to win. They can play like that and probably beat UTEP at home. But as the season progresses, they have to play better, but it's not so that Arizona can play better. And that's what why the line, I think, is sub against UTEP, because it's like they don't have to play a great game to beat UTEP. You know, UTEP's not very good. Um, so, yeah, it's one and one is, I think, where most people expected Arizona to be right now. And they come home, they take care, but just win by 25, 20, you know, whatever. It's the three scores and look good. And hopefully Delora doesn't turn the ball over. Just has a clean game. Maybe they run the ball well because the offensive line fully healthy with Polito. It looks like he might be back this week. Like, looks dominant. Great. You know, then you're two and one. You've shown maybe what you can do, like your peak Arizona, even against a bad team, heading into conference play, which is where we'll really get to see a lot from them. Yeah, if if you had said two and one, losing to Mississippi State on the road in an overtime game by one score, heading into conference and play, blowing out NAU and UTEP, you'd feel okay. We'd be like, awesome. That's like my not like absolute best case scenario, but it is in the it's more in that direction than the other. Perfectly right? acceptable start. Yeah, you know, and you're and you know you'd still like to see them maybe put it all together and see what they can really do, and maybe that's where they're gonna. You know, as as Lev talked about, you know, it'll steal a couple of those coin toss games against some talent, talented uh, Pac-12 teams. And, you know, some of those Arizona, you know, you can look at it as the schedule. Some of those toughest teams are at home and maybe that makes the chance of winning those better. But then the converse of that is some of the more winnable games are on the road, which makes those a little tougher. Tougher, Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's. If you, you can take it, is that a glass half full, half full or a half empty perspective? I think if you look at the way Arizona's team responded in this Mississippi State game, even from that first drive where they got manhandled and then still stiffened their spine and got the ball back. They had a disastrous offensive first quarter and still fought back and outplayed Mississippi State the rest of the game, like, pretty thoroughly. Um, You know, you got to feel pretty good at at least the direction they're facing. Now things can go awry, but, you know, that's why you play the game. Yeah, well, and it won't be the case against every team, but... It's nice when you can say it's entirely up to how Arizona plays. 
You know, if you say if Arizona plays their best, they're going to beat whoever they're playing. Like, that's a nice feeling that their best is good enough to beat whoever, even at their best, right? And their best is obviously better than UTEP's. And that's how you get all these toss-up games, like Love was saying. Like, you have to win a couple of them, but there's more of them on the schedule. There's only a couple of games that aren't going to be considered toss-up games, you know, at USC, probably home against Washington, but that's, you know, Washington doesn't travel to the desert well. We've talked about that. Maybe first Utah, but we'll see what Utah looks like by the end of the season. And at Colorado, who knows what that looks like? You know, I can't wait yeah. for the Buffaloes to get stomped by someone. They're a good team, but I don't think they have much depth. I'm looking forward to just, I have no problem with what Coach Prime's doing, but I just can't wait till they just get beat by 30 by somebody. You know, maybe it's Arizona. That'd be terrific. But either way, there's a lot more toss-up games than normal. And in theory, if you win, you know, they're called 50-50 games. If you win half of them, you're in really good shape for this season. Mm -hmm. You know, but it starts by taking care of business against UTEP. You can't lose at home against UTEP, obviously. Then you win that game. You come out of it healthy. You go on the road and beat Stanford, who's not a very good team. Like maybe slightly, I mean, they're better coach than they have been, but they're not. That's not a good roster. Right. <laughs> so if you win that game, it's a road game in conference. It's a nice win. And now you're three and one heading into Washington at home. You're already halfway to bowl eligibility. And that's what it's about right now for Arizona. It's continuing to build, continuing to improve on the season. And I don't think like, stomping UTEP wouldn't show that they're better, but I think they showed they're better in the Mississippi State game. I do. Like there's still much to prove that they can put it all together. But talent wise, I think they've proven that. This is not last year's Arizona. It's certainly not the year before the year before that's Arizona. And that's a positive because that talent, as long as the talent is there, a lot of the other stuff can be refined throughout the course of a season. You know, whether it's a little bit of extra coaching, a little bit more experience, or just a little bit of better luck in certain scenarios, like that can get better. But talent-wise, you have what you have. And what they have is pretty good. Yeah, and it's still a lot of young talent. That's, you yeah. know, with Raymond Polito coming in and playing or – Joe Bourgeon getting, you know, he's probably going to get snaps for two straight games one way or another against Utah, but he probably did against NAU too. Like all of these things uh, are going to build over the course of the season and set them up. And man, I'm just ready to watch the next game. I, I'm pretty excited for the right, the way the season is going to be. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be entertaining. You know, Mississippi State game was entertaining. <laughs> like it was mm-hmm. a fun football game to watch in terms of it was competitive. There were big plays and you know what? You'd rather win them, but entertaining is entertaining. And I think the Wildcats will be just that throughout the course of the season. So, yeah, we'll take that. Hopefully with more wins than losses. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. Of course, Arizona at UTEP, that's an 8 o'clock kickoff. Another one of those late games. That's in Tucson this weekend on Saturday. Um, You can find us on the social media, on the Twitter slash X machine at Wildcat Radio AZ. Obviously, you've found our podcast somewhere, maybe on social media, when we share the link, or maybe it's on iTunes or Spotify or on either of those platforms. Subscribe to us. And then leave us a rating and a review. And if you leave us a review, we will read it on the air. Brett, do we have any reviews this week? I just looked. Unfortunately, we do not. Ah, I should have asked you that beforehand, so it doesn't seem as embarrassing now, because now it's just like, oh, womp womp. Come on. Come on, folks. Give us a review. We'll read it on the air. Yes, we will. <laughs> and credit you, so make sure it's something that you're proud of, because we're going to put your name on it there, too. But obviously, if you have any questions for us, hit us up on social media at Wildcat Radio AZ. But yeah, otherwise, whatever happens over this weekend, Arizona, UTEP, and everything else in Arizona Athletics, we'll talk about it next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Michael Lev. And until next week, remember to bear down. Bear down.